On this episode, one man never dies, another dies when he's almost a thousand years old, and yet another walks with God and is saved because of his faith. Also, God has feelings, and who are the sons of God and the daughters of men? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode six, and today we're going to be going over lesson nine and ten of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. Last episode, we read in chapter four of Genesis... And we talked about Cain and Abel and how Cain had killed his brother and what his punishment was. And we also discussed all the rest of the people on the earth at that time. Today we'll be reading from Genesis 5 and part of Genesis 6. And we'll be discussing a couple of important men and how we can please the Lord and not make Him upset by our actions. Let's begin by reading in Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So here we just find again that Adam was made in the likeness of God, and Seth was made in the likeness of Adam. So all of us are created in the image and likeness of God and in the image of our parents. Now, the rest of this chapter probably is tempting to just skip right over because it's a lot of names, a lot of this person begot this person, and it looks like they lived an unbelievable amount of time. But we're just going to look over a couple of things that are important. If you didn't read this chapter at all, you'd miss a few things. And so even if you don't study something like this, it's good to just go ahead and read over it. It's only a chapter and you'll pick out a couple of important points. And so what I'm going to do as opposed to reading this is I'm going to just summarize what it says because it's long and it is a difficult read. What I do whenever I'm reading things like this is I just kind of make myself a little outline as I'm reading or you can just highlight. Let's look at at verses 6 through 8. Highlight Seth, Enosh, and then the two ages. 
That's really all that's important. The rest of it is just a lot of words. The 800 years doesn't mean anything. What matters is that Seth lived 105 years and then he had a son named Enosh. And then you just know that he had lots more kids. And then 912 years, he died. Those are the important things. So what this chapter tells us is that Adam lived 130 years before he had Seth and he died when he was 930. Seth lived 105 years before he had Enosh, and he died at 912. Enosh lived 90 years before he had Canaan, and he died at 905. Canaan lived 70 years before he had Mahalalil, and he died at 910. Mahalalil lived 65 years before he had Jared, and he died at 895. Jared lived 162 years before he had Enoch, and he died at 962. We're going to stop right there because Enoch is the first person that we read something significant about. Let's look in verse 21 and we'll actually read about Enoch. And I want you to listen and see what you find important about him. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So notice that everyone else, it says, he had other sons and daughters, lived this many years, and then he died. It does not say that about Enoch. It says he was not anymore, and God took him. We can look at other places in the Bible, and we're able to find a little bit more information. So look with me in Hebrews 11, 5, and 6, where it talks about Enoch. As we've talked about before, chapter 11 of Hebrews is the faith chapter. And so it lists different people and demonstrates their faith. So starting in chapter 11, verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in Genesis, it just told us that he was not and God took him. Here it tells us he did not see death because God had taken him. So he did not die. The Lord just took him up. This sets him apart from every other person, and it says that he was taken because he had the testimony that he pleased God. We see in Genesis also that it says he walked with God. It doesn't say that about anyone else. It just says how old they were when they had their kids, basically, and how old they were when they died. That's about all we get of these previous people other than Seth. Notice also that he was very young in comparison to the rest of these people. He only lived 365 years, where everyone else had lived right around 900. It makes you wonder why God took him so early if he was such a righteous man. It also talks about Enoch in Jude, and so we're going to look at that right now. Verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it says that Enoch was saying that about all the people that were surrounding him, that these people were evil. 
And so it very well may be that God took him so early because he was having to live among such evil people. And it was difficult for him to be alone on this earth as the only one that was really walking with God. We don't know that, but that's just a possibility. What we do know is that he pleased God and that God took him when he was 365 years old. Now, the next person that we notice something significant about is his son, Methuselah. So let's read about Methuselah in verse 25 of chapter 5 of Genesis. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem all that important. It sounds like everything else. He lived this many years. He had a son. He lived this many more years, had more sons and daughters, died at this age. But what's significant about this is this is the oldest recorded living man in the Bible. We don't know for certain that there wasn't another man that lived longer than this, but this is the oldest man that has an age recorded in the Bible, and he lived to be 969 years old. After that, it says that his son Lamech lived 182 years, and he had Noah, and then Lamech died when he was 777. Noah is obviously significant because he is the one that builds the ark that we'll talk about in chapter 6. And so we'll read the verse that talks about him. Verse 32 says, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That ends the chapter. Now, I know it must be tempting to pay attention to the ages of these people, and I do want you to pay attention, but we're not going to talk right now about how they lived so long and what all that entailed until after the flood. But do take note that most of them were living around 900 years. Again, there's tons and tons of people on the earth. We're only hearing about one son because this is the lineage of Noah. And that is what we're tracing. So from Seth is Enosh and then Canaan and then Mahalalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And that's why we're hearing about these specific people. So we don't know how old the rest of them were, but people were living definitely very, very long at this time. And we'll talk about that later. Now we're going to go ahead and go into chapter 6, and this is a controversial passage, and so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to read the first five verses of chapter 6, and then I'm going to tell you the different theories and thoughts on this passage, and then I'm going to let you make your own mind up as to what they're talking about here. There's a lot of things that they talk about in the Bible that obviously they understood at the time, but we just don't quite understand because those things just aren't going on anymore. So let me go ahead and read. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and that they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years." There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Okay, we're going to stop there. So there's different thoughts about who the sons of God were and who the daughters of men were. One thought is that the sons of God were fallen angels that had fallen with Satan and were roaming the earth and that these angels had taken the forms of men and they were with women here on this earth and they had children with them. This would make sense as to why they were so wicked. If you look up this phrase, sons of God, every time this phrase is used in the Old Testament, it is used to describe angels. So I'm going to read you those few times. It's all in the book of Job. So in Job 1.6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? So Satan is appearing before God, and it seems that this is other angels that are also with him because Satan is a fallen angel. Again, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also with them to present himself before the Lord. And then it's even a little more clear that these are angels in chapter 38. So this is God talking to Job, and we're going to start in verse 4. It says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So this is obviously at creation and it says the sons of God were shouting for joy. Well, no one was created, no person was created to shout for joy at this point because this is when he lays the foundations of the earth. And so the only people that were there at that time were angels. So sons of God here does seem to indicate fallen angels. Now, every time in the New Testament, when it refers to the sons of God, it's talking about those that are born again of the Lord. When we become Christians, we become the sons of God. And so I'm going to read you those couple of verses. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So that's clearly a man, just a normal person and not an angel. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So everyone that's led by the Spirit of God is a son of God. Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now the last one is in Galatians three twenty six, And it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So this thought is that what they were talking about is the sons of Seth would have been considered the sons of God, the followers of God, and maybe the daughters of Cain would have been considered the daughters of men, basically talking about believers and unbelievers of their time. The third theory doesn't seem to have much biblical basis, but I still want to let you know about it. This theory talks about it possibly being the royalty that married the peasants, basically, because the sons of God would be kings, princes, and the daughters of men would just be lowly peasant people. So there's the information. You can make your own decision as to who this was, regardless of who it was. We know that the people were wicked. 
It says that there were giants on the earth in those days, and these were the mighty men of renown. Now, one other thing I want to talk about is this 120 years that's spoken about in verse 3. It says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So there are people that believe that God says men are no longer going to live 900 and something years. They're going to only live to be 120. That's about all I can take. And the problem with that is that if you look even after the flood, the people are still living up to 500 years at first. So that can't be what they're talking about. Right after he tells him that his spirit won't strive with man forever, then he starts talking about how wicked the people are, and then he explains that he's going to destroy the entire earth. Look in verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. So it makes much more sense that he's saying he isn't going to struggle with these men for any more than 120 years. At that point, he's going to destroy the earth. I want you to notice something else about those verses where it says that God is sorry that he's made man. It says he's grieved in his heart. Look also at verse 11 and 12. It says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God is sad because everything has gotten so far away from what He had created it to be. This word corrupt means to decay. They have a complete loss of morality. They're decayed from where they were intended to be when he created them. It's just gotten worse and worse. says the earth was filled with violence. So people were hurting each other. It was chaotic. Everything was turned upside down. This word violence just means disrupting the natural order of things. So the whole world's been turned upside down. It's a completely different place than what he had intended it to be. And this has made God sorry. And so I want us to think one second about what we read at the first of chapter 5 when it talked about us being made in God's image. This shows us that just like we are sorry, just like we get sad, God also has feelings. If we're made in His image, then all of the characteristics that we have, God also has. And so God has feelings. The things that we do can make Him sad. We need to remember that. We need to remember all that God's done for us and that He loves us more than anyone else on this earth. And we should care about His feelings. We should care if the things that we're doing are things that could be upsetting to Him and try to change our actions. Also, you notice that it says the intent of the thoughts of their heart were evil continually. We want to change our thoughts. If our thoughts are not pleasing to the Lord, then we want to do something about that because we do not want to make God sorry. Sometimes we forget that he has feelings because we're not sitting here looking at him face to face and he seems as though he's this stoic figure, but he has feelings just like us. That's what it means to be made in his image. So we need to be aware of that. Now we skipped verses 8, 9, and 10, and so I want to read those now. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. 
And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So the three things that set him apart, that made him find grace in God's eyes, was that he was just and perfect and that he walked with God. Some other versions say righteous and blameless and walking with God. This word blameless or perfect doesn't mean without sin because no man is without sin. Blameless just means that you aren't a person that can be blamed. When people talk about you, do they characterize you as something that is sinful? No one in town can say, oh, you know Noah, he's just a liar. Or, you know Noah, he's just mean. Those types of things. He can't be blamed for any type of sin. He does sin, but this is not his character. And so that's what this is talking about, is that his character is righteous and just and blameless. Now, notice also that it says he walked with God. This seems to be in juxtaposition to the verse that says that the thoughts of the hearts of the people were evil continually. Because when you're walking, that means you're moving continually. And so just as the people's thoughts were continually evil, Noah was continually following God. This set him apart completely from all the rest of the people. So when looking at Noah, we see that these are three things that helped him find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so if we want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord, these are three things that we need to be aware of. Are we righteous in his eyes? Are we just? Are we fair? Can people around town characterize us by some sin? Are we walking continually with God? Or are we ever stopping? You know, God wants us to grow. He wants us to be continually progressing. And so if we're stopping, even if we are not turning around and going backwards or going along a different path, even stopping is not walking with God. And so we want to be continually walking with God. Now, I'm not saying that if God stops, we don't stop. I'm not saying we don't settle in a certain place. What I'm telling you is you don't want to be stagnant in your spiritual relationship. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about on this episode is Noah's faith. Look in verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, we're going to skip these next couple of parts because God's giving him instructions, and we're going to talk about that next episode. Skip down to verse 17. It says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, in verse 14 through 16, it tells him that he's going to build an ark, and it explains how to do that, and that's what is going to save him. So, I just want to talk a little bit about what kind of faith it must have taken to believe that God was going to destroy the entire earth with floodwaters when it quite possibly had never rained before. Remember at creation, we discussed that it said before it rained, there was only a mist that came from the earth. 
and it never discusses rain before this moment, raining from the sky. And so some people believe that it did eventually rain after God had made the man and he was able to till the earth. And others believe that it did not rain until this moment. And if it had not rained until this moment, then this would be difficult to accept by faith. Also, if it took him 120 years to build this boat, he had to be very dedicated. He had to do it by specific instructions that the Lord gives to him. And this would just take a lot of dedication and faith to believe that God was going to do something like this, enough to act on his belief. And so I want you to look in Hebrews eleven seven. Remember, we said this was the faith chapter. This tells us the faith that Noah had to have. It says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So it says that he had faith to believe in something that he was warned about that he had never seen before. He has no proof that this is going to happen, but he believed God enough to go ahead and follow his instructions, even though others probably thought he was losing his mind. This must have been difficult for him too, because in 2 Peter 2, 5, it says, Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the waters of the ungodly. So it says he was a preacher of righteousness. So not only did he act in a righteous way, but he was trying to preach to the people this entire time. So it must have been very difficult for him. And so I just want you to think for a moment, do you have that kind of faith? The type of faith that can work for 120 years on something that you have no evidence is ever going to happen just because God says it. Listen to Romans 8.25. Actually, we're going to start in verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So if we see it, there's nothing to hope about. We know it. It's not hope anymore. It's definite. And so he says, but if a person can hope for something that he doesn't see, then he's eagerly waiting for it with perseverance. And Noah's definitely doing that. He is persevering because this is taking a long time. Look also in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, saying that we believe not because we see it, but just because the Lord says it. Now, we're not going to read all of it, but in James 2, 14 through 26, it talks about this relationship between faith and works. And it tells us that if we do truly believe, then we will act on that belief. And that is what Noah is doing right here. Also, Noah isn't afraid of what the people are saying. It says he moved with godly fear. And so he is more concerned about the Lord than he is with these people. He's more afraid not to obey than he is to obey, which is a good thing for him because if he did not believe this, he would have died with all the other people. Jesus tells us also that we need to fear God more than we fear people. Look with me in Luke 12, 4 and 5. It says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So fear the one that is able to not only kill the body, but kill the soul too. The only one that can do that is God. And so we need to be more concerned about God than we are about other people. But it's difficult sometimes whenever other people are in our face and God isn't someone that we can see. And that's why we have to be very careful to be walking with Him so that if we are walking with Him, then we are spending time with Him and we are feeling His presence and we're talking with Him and hearing Him talk with us. And that keeps us more concerned about Him than it does other people. So we're going to stop right there. The things that you need to take away from this are just remember that our actions can either be pleasing to the Lord or they can grieve Him because He does have feelings just like we do. And so we need to be sure that we are being righteous, just, blameless, walking with Him, being faithful, fearing Him, more concerned about Him than we are others, and practicing our faith in Him. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. I'll answer all the emails that I can. I'd love to hear your thoughts or questions. Next episode, we'll talk about the building of the ark and the flood and all of those things. It should be a little more fun to discuss. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Thanks and have a good day.